up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head. But mostly role-playing games, because they can really help you explore yourself. Jeez, it's been a minute, right? <laughs> I know. I am sorry. Things have been crazy. Work has been hectic. I've been uh, playing games, putting together sweet pictures of miniatures, Drinking bourbon, watching basketball. Yeah, so sorry about that. But, dudes, how's it been going since I've been gone? That fucking rule. <laughs> sorry. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for summing it up for everybody. Yeah, hi. How's everybody doing? I know it's been a minute. But like I said, things have been... I I have been pretty busy. I apologize. (laughs) So yeah, I'm here today to talk about some stuff. And to pontificate about some things. And to engage in conversation. Yeah, it's a lost art, right? It's a lost art. Being able to disagree... And have conversations with folks that you don't totally line up with uh, on certain topics, right? This isn't about anyone personally. It's about argument topics. So we're going to talk because I made some claims in my initial Golden Rule episode. (laughs) I made several, several claims. And yeah, most of them were just wrong. (laughs) Just wrong. So we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about the refinement of my theory. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. But before we do that, before we do all that, I have something for Taylor of Cleric Square Ringmail during the many messages he left me that we'll get into later. He had an idea for a campaign that he wanted to run. And so he just was busy. So he recorded it along with all of his messages. So I'm putting it up here front and center Taylor. So later on, when you start this campaign, you can go back. You don't have to dig through this whole episode. It'll be right here at the stop, at the stop, at the top of the show. <laughs> so Taylor, what's your idea? That makes me think of something that would kick serious ass in a game that I could run. I'm going to send this to you as a message so that I don't forget it. What about infrastructure? What, we look at what a settlement can buy stuff like windmills for granaries uh, strongholds what if those things were just out in the wilderness and you could take them over with your warband and then you got xp based on the value of those items so i've got my little barony we don't have say a blacksmith but we know that a town over there is a very renowned blacksmith So, I go to war with that duke, I annex that territory, boom, I get the value of a blacksmith shop added to my XP pool, and I get a resource added to my domain. That would kick ass. Let's talk about names, baby, like Jason, Joe, or Steve. Okay, I don't have anything for that. I just wanted to sing to you. Peace out, my man. And I love it when people sing to me. In fact, in my next episode, we will hear more singing from an anchorite. 
That's right. So look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, dude, Taylor, that sounds like an awesome idea. I hope that the barony that you're going to go to war with to get their blacksmith, I hope they're an evil barony. <laughs> I hope they're not a nice barony. Because maybe you could be friends with them and form an even stronger kingdom between the two baronies through your economic cooperation and goodwill towards all people. <laughs> yep. Now let's talk about where I was wrong. Hey, Jill. Daniel from Manitz Keep. Catching up eventually. <laughs> you are so pro prolific. Prolific. How do you say it? Anyways, I'm just listening to the most recent because that's the easiest way for me to actually be current. Um, you're making some good points, some good observations, I think. Um, but I think that you are uh, misguided or perhaps maybe you just haven't looked in a while. But uh, to say that there are more rules for combat than exploration in D&D, I think is absolutely wrong, especially if you're talking about OD&D, which I'm pretty sure that's what you guys are talking about. Um, yeah, there's way, well, there's more rules for exploration, way, no, I'll say way, way more rules for exploration than there is for combat. Uh, unless you count the monsters as part of combat. If you do that, then okay but even the rules about the monsters don't talk about necessarily how they fight they mostly talk about their culture and stuff so in any case there's just not more rules uh about combat than exploration does that mean it's not about fighting i mean i guess that depends on the table right oh give me two messages oh man i forgot to call back in last night um because <laughs> of course once i got home and checked so i looked in the three little brown books and even if i consider the entire sections on waterborne and aerial adventure which isn't all combat, but is mostly about combat, I suppose. Uh, you've got, in the Three Little Brown books, you've got mm, about 10 pages of combat uh, rules and uh, exploration rules about 20. The rest is spells and um, monsters, basically. So, uh, well, and treasure, of course. So, yeah, in the original game, way more rules about exploration. But that really makes sense because the... Except for the hint, and by the way, of actual like PC combat in dungeons, it's like two and a half pages or two pages, something like that. Most of the combat rules are for the warfare stuff, basically the uh, navy combat and stuff like that. So, but that makes sense because the original combat rules are really simple, right? Roll a d twenty, get the number, do one d six damage. <laughs> okay, I'm pulling a Norton and stopping as you start to describe your shrimp, because you're wrong, my friend. You're patently wrong. Now, you, you do say some things that are correct in there, such as it really depends on your group and the play style. But I'm pretty sure if you go to Call of Cthulhu, especially the earlier editions of Call of Cthulhu, you have more pages of combat rules than you do investigation rules. I will verify that today and call you back, but I'm pretty sure there's more combat rules in Call of Cthulhu than there are investigation rules. More pages devoted, more word count devoted towards combat than investigation. So that's wrong. And the same thing with D&D. &D. As far as D&D &D goes, show me where it's a game about killing monsters. It's a game about exploring dungeons. You, you read, you, you know, you look at any of the early stuff. It's about exploring dungeons and stealing treasure. Okay, Joe, I didn't do any page counting because, well, that would require more effort. But I did pull out my third edition Call of Cthulhu book, which is the edition I originally had, and, and that's the edition that I always played back in the day, was third edition Call of Cthulhu. And that definitely has more combat than a bit. There's like a page of investigation comments in there, if that. Um, I, I parsed through fifth edition, and again, there's more combat rules. And even looking at seventh edition, when, when you consider like chases or combats and stuff like that, 
there's, you know, like over 30 pages of combat rules in 7th edition, the current edition of Call of Cthulhu, and there's maybe, you know, 20 pages of Game Master advice. <laughs> and most of that's not, you know, that's not all investigation. So there's definitely more rules about combat than investigation in Call of Cthulhu. So not that that matters a whole lot, because like you say, it goes to group play style, but I think it is, you know, somewhat relevant in debunking your theories. It is absolutely relevant to debunking my theories. The two of you came with some sound arguments, some logical conclusions, some evidence, some evidence to back up your claims, thus proving my assertions wrong. Awesome. That's how this shit is supposed to work. (laughs) That's how discussions used to happen. They can happen again. (laughs) They are happening right now. Awesome. Yes. Uh, You both went back, did some research. I got you all to do some research. That pumps me up. Looked at your books, which is always fun because the books are dope. And then brought that information back to all of us. So my anti-factual tirades could be, boom, kicked in the butt. Nice work, boys. Both of you mentioned that I had some good observations and made some good points in my initial episode. So thank you to that. You both talked about play styles. And yeah, we'll get to more of that stuff later. But first, first, let's talk a little bit more about exploration and the different ways in which I was wrong. So what aspects of the game do encourage exploration? Well, I should probably put out an episode on this because I have a lot to say, but I'll try to condense it into a message or two. First, we have to define what is exploration. Is exploration the act of circumventing challenges in combats to get to treasure? I would argue no. Exploration is the process by which a party uncovers an adventure site and This includes combat, this includes bypassing combat, this includes the acquisition and extradition of treasure, among everything else. Exploration is the adventure once you're there at the adventure site. (laughs) I love, Taylor, that you say you're going to try and condense it down to a message or two. Anyway, dude, okay, yeah, this is this is a case of terminology. So thank you for bringing this up. Um you're you're absolutely right. Exploration is much much more than just sneaking around. 100%. So I need to throw away my initial claim that treasure for XP doesn't in and of itself encourage exploration, I guess, because any type of experience system encourages exploration, right? That you need to have experiences in order to earn experience points. So if you're playing a game that has an experience point system that does encourage exploration. Thank you. I, yeah, you, I've had to readjust 
So right, then then we just talk about play at the table. Whether you're sneaking around, whether you're kicking in the front door, or whether you're mapping. Mapping. A lost art in the RPG world is mapping. In modern vintage, we either have simple dungeons or outdoor layouts, or we simply allow the player to say, okay, we go back the way we came in. That's not the case in OSR games. Note, I say OSR games, not original 1970s games. I wasn't there. I'm not familiar with 1970, and I can tell you what I've experienced in the OSR in the last few years. So, I will speak to that. The point is, a mapper is essential if you want to get out alive. If you're all the way in and then need to exit in a hurry, but you don't have a map, you're going to take just as long getting out as you did getting in, something that can prove fatal to the party. Thus, part of exploration is mapping. Because old school games encourage a mapper function and cautious, tactful movement through said dungeon, that element of player skill, that is, traversing and remembering the layout, encourages exploration. Yeah, dude, I, I could see how mapping would be important to that particular type of play style. Yeah, I, I mean, because we're, we're not talking about all OSR games here. That's too broad. We're talking about OD&D and BX and those TSR games. Uh, like, does OD&D... Do the rules encourage mapping or does it say we should be mapping or is that just something that developed at the table? I don't know. It might encourage mapping. So yeah, absolutely. Mapping a dungeon, super important for that style. That's awesome. But aha, dude, all you were talking about was dungeons. What about those hex crawls you OSR types are always talking about though? Aha, uh -huh, you say, but what about those hex crawl adventures that you OSR types are always talking about? True, a hex crawl is itself an act of exploration likewise, but the world is your exploration zone, your adventure site, compared to the dungeon crawl where the dungeon or other site is the adventure site. Each hex that you enter or leave is one more room with six doors, north, south, northeast, and so on. Why then would I go exploring? Well, first there's the domain game. As a high-level outcome, the expected retirement for a character would be as, optimally, a local lord. You would send your fighter out, he would establish a stronghold, he would have vassals that would come to him, serfs that would work the land, and you would become a king of a small territory. Or your cleric, they would go out and found a monastery or whatever, your wizard would build a tower, and so on. I could go into more detail, but instead, I'm going to answer another question. How does treasure tie in to exploration? Well, consider at high levels, you need a lot of XP to level more, and more so, where's all that treasure going to come from? 
It sure isn't going to come from town or that original dungeon that you kind of played out. So exploration becomes necessary. And I don't know if exploration is a word. I use it a lot because it's fun to say, but I'm digressing. Exploration becomes a necessity to seek out new sources of treasure and thus new XP sinks. Not sinks. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Note that the layer treasure for most monsters is significantly more generous than their wandering treasure. Additionally, many monsters have no treasure when wandering and only have treasure in their lair. Well, what is a lair? Eh, arguably, 3 to 10 or 3 to 30 orcs is an encounter, 30 to 300 orcs is a lair. I've always treated a lair result on the overland map as a mini dungeon in and of itself that contains a bunch of treasure and is guarded by a dedicated and homogenous group. So orcs with gold, a dragon with a horde, etc. With that in mind, the player party is encouraged to go out into the world, find lairs, find new dungeons, in order to haul fabulous riches out of them and bring them back to town. Do domain level games prefer curb stomping wilderness lairs? Yes, in order to establish a domain, you have to eliminate them. However, that doesn't necessarily mean killing them all. You could take the treasure and send them packing. You could negotiate a truce and hire them as a mercenary force, or you could incorporate them into your domain. It's all about how the referee runs the game. But the point is, I wanted to tie exploration to treasure as it pertains to the leveling up process. Right, yeah, so with that domain play, you have a bunch of different options. Uh, you, I, I will say this, you also have those options in the, the newer games. Like in Pathfinder, for instance, you get the experience if you defeat the monsters. And that could take on lots of different aspects. So like what you were talking about with, you could, you could either kill all the people in that domain that you needed to take, or you could hire them as a war band or incorporate them. All of that, you would still get the XP for in Pathfinder, except instead of getting it for their treasure, you get the XP for defeating them as a person or as a as a threat, right? Defeating the threat, neutralizing the threat. Uh, so yeah, it again, it's 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 play style, and yes. You absolutely <laughs> thank you so much, Taylor, for all of those messages, man. Uh, you you did. You made me think and really made me refine what I meant. I don't mean that XP for treasure doesn't in and of itself encourage exploration. I'm talking about it doesn't encourage the the sneaky style of play necessarily like it's just any xp system will reward 
for exploration because you have to have those experiences, like I said before. So awesome. Thank you so much. We'll hear from you some more. <laughs> You're not quite done yet, but we got some other folks. Jason's got some stuff to say about early, early D&D, er-D&D. So let's, let's do that. When we look at the earliest D&D, you, you know, you, you go back to before Gygax was even involved. You, you look at what Arneson was doing with Blackboard. You look at the dungeon board game, right? It's about treasure. The dungeon board game isn't about killing monsters. The dungeon board game is about accumulating treasure and the first person to get back to the, out of the dungeon with the most treasure or enough treasure, I think not the most, the person to get out of the dungeon, the different classes have different amounts of treasure they have to get. But the first person to get out of the, tre- out of the dungeon with, that, with the amount of treasure for their class wins. So your earliest play in dungeon, the board game, was hugely influential to Gary Gygax. It predates the indie. So the earliest things weren't about killing monsters. They were about getting the treasure. And the reason that the treasure encourages exploration as opposed to killing monsters, the fact you get so much more treasure for exploration. I mean, you get so much more XP for treasure. So it discourages you from getting income and because there's no balancing mechanic in early D&D. So if you come up against a tough monster and you figure out a way to steal their treasure, guess what? You get that XP for all that treasure and you don't have to get killed in the combat with this monster you can't beat. So, but ultimately that kind of goes back to play style. So you're not totally wrong, my friend. Now tell me about that shrimp. That won't be the last time today somebody tells me that I'm not wrong. <laughs> so yes, pre-D&D, the dungeon board game was all about getting treasure and trying to trying to get out before you took too much damage and avoid as many fights as you could. Yes. Yes. And so like Taylor pointed out earlier, uh, my use of the word exploration there was wrong and inaccurate. What I meant more was the sneaky style, the sneaking around the circumventing fights part. Um, and yeah, when you're playing a board game, that's, that's how it is. Right. But we're not playing a board game. I, that, I, and I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about exploration. Cause like I said, any type of XP, system will encourage exploration in and of its very nature that's what it does (laughs) so yeah it's just the manner in which you acquire that treasure yeah i don't know you know i like having options i like the ability to kick in the front door or to circumvent a fight you know i like having i i i like having those options man (laughs) But yeah, we're going to we're going to talk more about that um, because Taylor and Daniel are going to go into why playing the sneaky way is is the right way for OD&D. This is Taylor of Clerics Wear Ringmail calling in five minutes into the show. And I agree with your first proposition. 
Treasure for XP by itself does not implicitly or explicitly discourage combats in your games. Truthfully, OD&D, all editions of D&D do have monster experience, but OD&D is actually more generous. You get more XP for defeating monsters than you do in BX. That said, is OD&D a combat simulator? Well, not really, because you're still discouraged from getting XP by monsters because of the resource game. So, a cleric in OD&D and Basic... Ooh, ooh, is it a cleric wearing ring mail? ...does not get a spell at first level. You have to be second level before a cleric can do any spell casting. And on top of that, that Cure Light Wounds, D6 plus one hit points, is competing against spells like Light, which you can use to blind an adversary, or Protection from Evil, which effectively makes you immune to undead. And then their progression, you look how many spells they get. You can't, in the original edition, memorize a spell outside of its range, like you can in 3E and beyond. So at most you're having five Cure Lights or five Cure Moderates at maximum level. And as Rob C. points out in his latest episode of Down in a Heap, the Cleric just can't keep up with party hit points. So if you take damage, you end up taking a lot of downtime in order to recover. So to conclude, does GP for XP discourage combat? No, but do old school games encourage lateral thinking? Yes. Your character can get the treasure by fighting the monster and then wait two weeks so he can adventure again. Or you can be sneaky, get the treasure, and then go back out again tomorrow, thereby accelerating your treasure acquisition and accelerating your character progression. Do I think that constitutes exploration? I will hold off on commenting until I'm further into the episode. And you folks have already heard those comments earlier on in this episode because I've placed them out of order and stuff to kind of make everything fit a little bit better. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Anyway, let's get to Daniel. I would say that there is no doubt that people who play D&D, even the old school D&D, wanted to kill monsters. <laughs> you're, you're definitely not wrong there. Um, the, uh, it's pretty clear by the culture that has developed around D&D and where D&D went. So if you look at your most modern version, so your Pathfinders and your 5Es, which are basically the most modern incarnations of D&D, they're basically about fighting monsters. And that's because people want to fight monsters. But that doesn't mean the game was about that. It means the game evolved into that. Uh, there's may, way more rules for exploration. Um, the reason why the game came about is because they were playing war games, and what they wanted to do was change it and do something a little different. So they had their war games they could play, and then this was about character development and exploration. That's really where the game came from. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously both ways of playing are fine, but if you're only killing monsters in older editions, it'll take you a long time to level up, that's for sure. <laughs> it's interesting that both of you guys touched on the downtime aspect and that it would take longer in that if you're sneaky, you could just go out the next day and go adventuring and stuff. So I, I guess my question is 
say your party does take a bunch of damage, they manage to survive and escape, but they need like a week or so, they need a week, let's say, to heal up. How do you roleplay that? Because, right, like in real world time, does it really take how much, does it really take that much longer if you take damage? Because are you, I mean, do you role play out each one of those days as a single session and so therefore you have to take like seven sessions until they can go out adventuring again or do you more or less you know sort of fast forward time and the world keeps moving obviously but you don't play every second of every day so i don't know yeah i i I don't know that the old school games promote lateral thinking any more less than any other game nobody likes taking damage there are plenty of people that play modern games that do sneak around and stuff <laughs> like you can absolutely do that a hundred percent in the modern games it all comes back to play style which you know everyone has touched on today so, yeah, I, I mean, I really think it does come back to play styles, but it does sound like you dudes are convincing me of whether you meant to or not, that there is a right way to play OD&D in particular and, you know, whatever. That's what it sounds like, that if you don't go the sneaky route, it sucks. It, it takes way longer to advance. You'll die all bunch, all this stuff that there is only one way to do it. Right. And that's, that's what it sounds like to me. And yeah, I, that's cool there. It's a game. There is a probably a right way to play it, but you know, I, like I said earlier, I like having options. I like having a game where you could do either one of those two things and still either route is viable. Right, like even with Beyond the Wall, that's the game I'm currently running. A game that is the closest tied to TSR products that I played in a long, <laughs> in a long, long, long time, uh, which is awesome. And the healing in it is very meager. Right, you heal one hit point per day if you get a full night's rest, which means not taking a watch. If you're in a village and you're not doing anything and you're resting up, you get two hit points per day. There is a heal spell in the game. There is no cleric class, any spellcaster. There's only one spellcasting class. Uh, there's a list of spells. They're not leveled. And there is one healing spell, which if you use the preferred character generation for Beyond the Wall, you might not get, probably won't get, because uh, character generation is based off of playbooks, which are based off of random tables. So yeah, there is a very high likelihood that you will play games that don't have a healer in the party. Um, the game does talk about how the witch, which is like an NPC character, can probably make healing potions maybe that heal like a D4 or D6 or something. But yeah, that's it, man. And then of course you can make whatever sort of magic items you want, a wand of that spell or whatever. Like, the GM can do that. But the game itself doesn't provide that. So, yeah, healing <laughs> sucks. 
So if my party takes a whole shitload of damage in a fight and then escapes and makes it back to town and they got to heal up, yeah, we'll, we'll heal up. That won't be multiple sessions of them healing up in the town, like multiple real-world sessions of actual lifetime. <laughs> It'll happen probably, you know, for all of that to happen, that would, they'd make it back to town probably towards the end of a session because we play shorter sessions these days than we did when, than I did when we were younger, you know, our sessions are between three and four hours as opposed to like eight or to 12 back in the day. So yeah, you get in a big fight, you do some exploration, you get another big fight, you make it back to town, you role play out that till the session ends, start off the next session, do some more role playing, then go back out again. Right. So yeah, like even if you don't go the sneaky route, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's all about play style. And I, it, it sounds like you guys are saying there is only one type of play style for OD&D. That you have to do it the sneaky way or it sucks. I don't know. I was giving it too much credit, it, lo- it looks like. Anyway, that's cool. I love the fact that, yep, here's, here's how you play this game. That's, that's solid. I'm all about it. So yeah, that's it, folks. What did we learn today? We learned that when I run my mouth, sometimes, often, I am wrong about a lot of shit that I say. (laughs) I talk in broad strokes sometimes. Other times I get very, very, get into the minutia of things. I'm all over the map. I'm all over the map. But I always appreciate it when people come with awesome, thoughtful, sound arguments, based in logic and sometimes evidence it's dope it's absolutely awesome i love these types of conversations this is how conversations should be let's all join hands folks so yeah see if i can remember because i've been building multiple episodes today anyway i think today we had taylor of clerics wear ring mail daniel of the bandits keep media empire Jason Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Um, he's just like me. He's just a podcaster. Just a lowly, lowly podcaster like me. Anyway, man, dudes, thank you all so much. It was awesome. You made me think. You made me re-examine my thoughts, see the error of my ways. Yeah, I really appreciate it. This was a fantastic back and forth. I loved it. I really did. So thank you all so much. It's rainy and stuff here today. There is, you know, increased flood danger and landslide danger. <laughs> Yesterday, there was a tornado warning in King County, Washington, which is just weird. Yeah, it's crazy out there. So stay safe, stay cool, be kind to each other. And until next time, probably be tomorrow. Peace out. <laughs>